It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 109. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. How's it going, Gary? Oh, pretty good. It's a weird time because we just, uh, yesterday, moved our daughter to the dormitories for college. So it's empty nest syndrome? Is that what's going uh, on here? Kind, yeah, kind of. I mean, I know there's years and years of, you know, coming home for... Uh, you know, uh, breaks and summers and things laundry. like that. Oh, right. <laughs> laundry, yeah. Um, you know, and there's uh, there's a lot. You know, it's not that far off, uh, so there'll be there'll be plenty of opportunities to see her. But uh, but yeah, officially she's there now. Of course, it's unusual because more and more colleges are opting to not do this. Right. Um, and it was very unusual moving her in. I, I assume, I don't know. It's the only time I've ever moved a child to college. <laughs> so I don't know what it's like normally, but I'm thinking normally it doesn't involve a mandatory face masks and special badges and one parent at a time up into, uh, you know, allowed up into things. It, it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting. We had a two hour window and one visitor pass. So it was my wife and I just taking turns. Right carrying things up, assembling things, trying to help her as much as we can in our two-hour allotment before we were basically cut off and can probably never see her dorm room again until move-out day in right. the spring. So, well, so are you know, they, never, never, but virtually we can, but yeah. So I'm assuming she has a roommate. Yes. Um, so that becomes a living situation. So they're not going to be necessarily masked when they're the only people in the room. No. The only place they are not supposed to, they don't have to wear masks is when they're in their room. So okay. they're supposed okay. to, as soon as you leave your room, go into the hallway, you're supposed to wear a mask. Sure. I'm sure all the 18 year olds will listen very, you know, to that and adhere sure. very thoroughly. And all those um, other rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, cause you know, college freshmen are just are so good with following the rules. They're all about but the rules. All about the rules. <laughs> <laughs> but give me more rules. Uh, come on, print, print it out. I want multiple copies. No. Uh, so, you know, but each of them, everybody had to have a test. A, uh, you know, it, her first college test was a COVID-19 test. Uh, so, um, you know, it's like the entire population that's moving to campus right now is all tested within a lot of them within 24 hours of the move. Um, she actually, we actually got her a test to save some time right here, but she could have gotten it uh, as part of the move-in process. And um, so that's pretty good start. You know, you have all these students that, you know, nobody's got it basically. Uh, now that'll change as it people will. go off campus to eat at restaurants or see family members and whatever. But, uh, you know, we'll have to see how the rest of it the rest of it goes. A lot of her classes are online, even though she's in the dorms. I was going to ask exactly that. I mean, are they, you know, are they, how many classes are they doing in person? And yeah. is, it, is it weird to be doing online from your dorm room? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's going to it'd be interesting to see what the kids actually do. I mean, do they sit there in, you know, at their desks or in their bunks or whatever? And, um, you know, just, do the class or do they go outside? Do they go to the library or, you know, there's other places that, you know, plenty of places you can hide yourself in a college campus. Mm -hmm. So what actually becomes the practice for that? Um, you know, just have to see really what happens. Uh, but yeah, interesting, interesting. I wish it was things were normal for her, but, uh, 
it is what it is. So, so to say, that seems to be the phrase of the de- of the year, right? Yeah. It is what it is. Twenty twenty. It is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 probably worse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. You, did you get your new Mac? Yeah, I was actually trying to remember, you know, because I talked to, we both had this problem where we talked to many people throughout the week and everything like that. And then we're like, did I talk about this on the show already? Because I remember talking about this, but was it to you on the show or was it to someone else? Yeah. So I was trying to debate, did I talk about the, I remember talking about ordering it. Yes. So did I talk about getting it? No. And then I got my quick answer as I started to prep for the show as I went to plug in my USB headset and realized, oh, I'm going to need an adapter for that because it's USB-C. So obviously <laughs> I haven't done this before. Um, so yeah, the new Mac Pro is here. and uh, I assume we're, we're using it right now? Yeah, using it right now. And I mean, there's nothing much to report. The transition went smoothly. Uh-huh. The I'm using it. And you know, since I'm using the same screens basically in the same setup you know the computer that's out of sight kind of really doesn't matter as much except everything's really zippy and fast and right and all of that um yeah so uh, one weird change that is a little bit more tactile i guess is that it came with a extended keyboard and i switched years and years ago to a compact keyboard that doesn't have the number keys and the page down and all that stuff and but you know it comes with this nice beautiful looking extended wireless keyboard so i thought well i'll give it a try and i almost gave up on it in the first day because putting the trackpad to the right of the mark keypad my arms are really quite separated from each other and to go from the trackpad all the way over to the home position for typing is quite a distance Mm -hmm. uh but it after i stuck with it after a few days i adjusted so uh, and it uses so, yeah. a trackpad, so you're not actually using a mouse with this machine. No, and actually, the funny thing is, I I made the mistake of you have a choice of mouse or trackpad, and I already have a the current version of Apple's trackpad. So I said, well, give me the mouse because I don't have a current version of the Apple mouse, mm-hmm. and uh, this nice like black mouse came with it that looks so cool, and then I realized, oh no, the trackpad would also been, <laughs> right. you know, a cool looking pro color. I should have gotten that because now I'm stuck with this, like the consumer level white trackpad <laughs> instead of the space gray pro black trackpad. Um, but, you know, no, no, nobody sees that except me. So it all tracks the same. Yes. It all tracks the same. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that's uh, there, that's that. And I'm just using it. Um, I did actually do a neat thing with the old one for the transition is uh you know, the first thing I did was to basically plug that into the second port, the old Mac Pro into the second port of my main screen. And oh, right. I could switch, you know, you could switch inputs. Yep. And so the three, my three screens show my new Mac Pro, but I, with a quick switch, I could show them on the main screen, my old Mac Pro to be able to access it. Then I realized I don't even need to do that. And I opened a screen sharing window to it. Sure. And for a few days, I ran that old Mac Pro in a screen sharing mode if I, in case I needed to access anything or remember, well, mm-hmm. how did I have things set up for this app? Let me go and look. Um, it must have been a very, I don't know, for some reason, this is a pretty obscure reference, but like a, a black mirror situation for the, 
for the old Mac Pro because it's like suddenly in charge and there in the room on three screens and a keyboard. And then suddenly it's virtual in a little window, <laughs> you know, inside, you know, running in, you know, through this other Mac Pro. You don't then, love me anymore. And then, and then suddenly <laughs> I, I just, well, you know, a couple of days ago, I was like, well, I haven't used it in a few days. So I hit, the, you know, did shut down and it shut down and it's just sitting there. It's like, oh yeah, it's so sad. <laughs> but um, Do you have plans for it? I no, I still haven't thought, you know, the whole thing is let's get through the transition first. Sure. And but now I'm basically through the transition and I guess I do need to start thinking what to do with it. I mean, I, I say I could resell it for about a thousand bucks, which to me seems like, well, if that's the value of it, it's a pretty neat machine for a thousand bucks. You know, you'd buy it, right? <laughs> yeah, for a thousand bucks, an old Mac Pro like this, it's it's pretty, you know, it's got good graphics card in it and everything, a lot of memory. So I don't know. So I'm trying to think of what should I do with it? How should I set it up? Mm-hmm. But uh, haven't haven't decided yet. Um, well, let's see. What else have I been working on? Oh, yeah. So this is also a follow-up to previous things. We talked about a month ago about my predicament with uh, my iOS game apps. Right, and, and the, the, the whole clipboard notification clipboard thing? Clipboard notification thing. And I was right. going to have to upgrade my apps really with nothing but, you know, just a minor, just, you know, push out a new version to hopefully get rid of that little, you know, your clipboard's being read by this game uh, notification. Uh, after that episode, I did successfully uh, test out a, an app, um, a new version of the app. It was able to build it using Adobe's current tools. It was a little touch and go there, and they don't work very well anymore, but I was able to get it to produce and confirm that with the existing app, it does say, you know, copied from clipboard, but with a new version of the app, same everything, uh, except a you know, new version of Adobe Air. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't say that. So somewhere, somebody right. fixed Varied. that. I don't, know, yeah. I don't know where that was fixed. And I use various library parts for various things. Of course. So, yeah, so I don't know. But seeing that then, I started pushing out updates to the apps. And I, even though I've got something like 20 or 30 apps, I identified eight of them that account for 93% of my app revenue. Right. And I decided kind of like, well, those are going to be the eight <laughs> that I'm, I'm going to maintain for a while. Um, I'm not going to get rid of the old ones. I was going to ask if you start getting complaints about number nine, will it, you do it? I, you know, I mean, not, I don't know. I don't know what will happen. <laughs> I mean, now I get most of my revenue from the top eight, which means that the other ones that I don't get much revenue from, I'm also get, not getting much in terms of people playing them. Of course. Um, and so, you know, I, it's like if I'm going to get complaints, it was going to be from the ones that are played a lot. Of course. So I'd be surprised if I got many complaints uh, from those smaller apps with smaller traffic and everything. So we'll have to see what happens. I, I, I don't know you what I'll do. realize that the, our listener is going to take that as a challenge, right? Oh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I did. So I did push those out. And uh, successfully updated them. So, you know, and it's a weird kind of update too. I, I realized I had to do it as quickly as possible because I was having trouble producing them and testing them for iOS 14, which is what, you know, my instinct was to do. But iOS 13, I was able to test them. And then I, when I said, okay, they work fine on iOS 13. And technically that's all I should be worrying about now. That's the current, you know, in per, you know, production mm-hmm. version for consumers. So I pushed out the first app and then I downloaded it in my iPad that I'm testing iOS 14. 
and it works fine. So using that theory, I actually pushed out all eight apps and only ever tested them in iOS 14 after they were accepted in the App Store. And they all seem to be behaving just fine. Right. So that's good. And hopefully I won't need to update them uh, anymore for this predicament. And they can all live for at least another year um, and all that. But I did get to thinking in terms of uh, thinking about the uh, 93% are these eight apps. Well, 49% of home I had revenue is the top one. <laughs> okay. So that being the case, then I thought, you know, one thing I've never really done in my game development career is really focus on one app. You know, really just said, that's the, I'm just going to just come out with updates for that one app and all that. What if I just said, you know, the future is really just that one app? Like, I don't come out with any updates for it ever. So maybe I should and just like push out every couple months new updates, new features, new things, improvements in that one app and see if I could build that app. Because technically, if I could double that app's revenue, then I can, uh, you know, justify really going down to that one app if I had right. to. Right, right. Because uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have even tried that. You know, the idea is double that app's revenue and ignore the other seven. Right. So I so the only problem is I, I really don't feel confident doing that with Adobe's tools um, right now. Uh, so I started converting that app to Swift. And, and the confidence is because not not because of um, usability is that Adobe Air itself may or may not continue to get updates yeah. and stability functionality and so it, forth. Right, and updates are weird. I mean, Adobe uh, Adobe comes out with Air. And Adobe comes out with the tools to create things in Air. But to actually package Air up for an app for Android or iPhone, there's another company that does that. Adobe has basically said, we're not doing this anymore, but we will license that out. And this other company that no one's ever heard of um, has, that, has that license. And they haven't really done much with it except the bare minimum of just, it's still here. <laughs> Here's a couple minor update, push out things, uh, which makes me kind of nervous. And also even seeing that I can't even um, test the games very well anymore. Uh, you know, it just, it was really, right. I don't know, right. scary. So anyway, I like, I like Swift and I like what Apple's done with it and Xcode. And I know that I'm working with the real native tools, you know, and I've really got way more control and I'm much I'm relying much less on other companies when I just go straight because I'm relying on Apple no matter what I do. Right. You know, I'm producing an iOS app. So I, uh, you know, think that it's probably best if I just cut out Adobe and cut out their Air product and this third company and all of that and just go to that. So, so that I started working on that, but without a, my usual deadline, I usually say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, by the end of August, I'm going to, push out a new version that uses Swift instead of Air. Mm -hmm. I've decided, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to just keep working on this a little every day. And I, I don't know how long it's going to take. I've, I have an app up there that's working fine. You know, I'm not going to mess with it for now. But at some point, I'm going to get this new app working so well that I'm going to just feel so confident in it that then I'll do the big switcheroo. So how much of an effort is it really? I mean, this is, is this truly rewriting the application from yeah. scratch? 
yeah, it is rewriting it from scratch. Okay. So I can use a lot of the graphics, although sure. in a different way, because with Adobe Air, I'm using vector versions of them, and you're using basically PNGs and JPEGs and stuff uh, with uh, Xcode. So, but Which I is still, an I don't easier, have, it's an easier direction to go in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You can't go the other way. So, uh, but you know, it is, so I don't have to like recreate the artwork, but I do need to, you know, do stuff with it. Right. The code has to go from scratch. I do have the algorithms. I can go and say, oh, here's how I set up the game board. This is the code in ActionScript, which is, you know, what's an error for doing it. Now I need to do that in Swift and it's programming language. So, sure. you know, for loops are for loops and if statements <laughs> are if statements and all of that. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it's interesting. I am enjoying working in Swift and I don't, I guess my fear was that something would happen to my app at some point and I'd need to push out an update and Apple would give me like two weeks and say, right. your app's no longer working properly or doesn't meet one of our guidelines. You have two weeks or it's out of the app store and then I have to work in Swift to get something acceptable. Um, but I don't have that. I've got basically, as far as I know, as much time as I need to get this perfect. And my biggest fear is to, is to avoid that whole thing that we know that whenever you change something, somebody complains. <laughs> um, <laughs> and no matter how perfect I get this to be match the old game, right. it's still going to be different. There's still right. going to be, you know, the, oh, the iPhone 8 Plus, oh, it doesn't on that screen because it's a little different. And the ads are now a little different. And then this goes down and, oh, it's a little, you know, there's going to be something I'm going to miss. Right. There's going to, I may even do a test flight thing. A test flight is, um, you know, Apple's testing program mm -hmm. where you can, uh, you know, get beta testers, normal users that suddenly have the ability to download your app uh, and it goes through an approval process through Apple, but, you know, you only can have, I can have like 50 people or 100 people. So I may actually even recruit a group of beta testers of the game and have them uh, play with this new version of the app and give me feedback and say, do you get I can't to, believe you changed this. I can't believe the font size for the time is now smaller. This game now sucks. <laughs> <laughs> the, the entire game sucks. Um, but you get to choose your uh, your beta your beta oh, yeah. users, and yeah, you I against, recruit them. And you would recruit them from existing users of the existing game, right? Right. I would probably just put a, a notification in the current game and saying who wants to beta test, and um, and then you know. They would just go to a uh, like a Google form or something right. and say, "Yes, I'd like to beta test. I'm using an iPad, blah blah blah, and I do this, and I can dedicate, you know, one hour of time a week to to sure. trying your game out, and I promise to give you feedback." And then I put their email address into Test Flight, and it adds them, and then they can get this app that's not available in the App Store. And and I could see uh, if they like it or not. Of course, you always get you get people that are more likely to like what you're doing when you ask for beta testers mm -hmm. and not the complainers. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we'll see a, a lot of other exciting things. I mean, by doing an Apple, uh, doing it with Apple's tools here, I'll be able to create a Mac version of it if I want. Right. Which would be interesting. Of course, it's an ad supported game. So I'm not sure how that will work because there's no ad system that currently serves ads for Mac games like that. Right. So I may have to just create an ad free version for Mac that you pay three bucks for. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I may be able to try out all sorts of other interesting things. And if it works, once I get over that hurdle and I release the first new version using Swift, and I probably just don't on standby for those couple of weeks to push out a new version if somebody complains that it doesn't work on the third generation iPad mini, 
you know, because this one background looks different or something. Um, I can, you know, push out new versions. And once I get to a stable point where it's like, all right, the game is now a Swift game. Right. It's now made in Xcode. Now I move on to phase two, which is really focus on it. This is my one, one game. And now it's okay. It's the month of December. What am I doing? What's on my calendar? I'm pushing out two new tile sets and a new background. You know, what's in January? January's update is going to have three new layouts and a new timer feature, you know, and just really keep seeing what happens if I've done what I've never done before and like focus on a game and relentlessly push out updates to it, to the store. Do um, you, um, I- I'm assuming you do something to promote the game. Eh, there's not much I can do. Really? I, I mean, I, when I come out with a new game, I usually hit my Mac most people, you know, in my newsletter with, hey, there's a new game. Because most of them have iPhones and iPads as sure. well. Um, I can certainly, you know, maybe you know, tell people, hey, I have a new version of the game and all, but it's not as exciting. Right. Uh, short of that, there's not too much I can do except there, I take out advertising or something. Well, the reason I ask is because, you know, great, the game starts getting updated more frequently. I'm just not sure how that translates into more revenue. What you need is more, I guess people need to play it more. You could, you right. could, do, it, you could do it with the same number of users if they played twice as much. Well, I think there's also the, the idea of churn, right? I, get, I gain new players every month, and I lose players. How do the new players find you? Just app store looking for a game like this okay and so they might uh so if i i I don't know what the numbers are but let's say i gain a thousand new downloads a month for this app Mm -hmm. and revenue is pretty stable so i have to think that you know they're probably only out of those thousand only a small amount like a hundred become regular players right and maybe i lose a hundred regular players right now if i keep paying attention to the game and pushing out new stuff maybe that number shifts a bit. Maybe now I gain, out of the 1,000 that downloaded, maybe 110 now become regular players. Right. And 90 leave. And now I'm up an extra 20 per month. Right. And that slowly gains traction. Another thing is that maybe Apple might pay attention to it. I did see another game very similar to mine get mentioned in one of the little promotional emails just you know games to play this weekend to help you relax you know it was just a thing that went out from apple and they put like there's just a list of games in the app store and i was like hey that's like one of my competitors right there maybe maybe you know a year from now if i i'm doing monthly updates to this app maybe mine suddenly gets chosen um so I'll see. Well, that will be interesting. I, I, I look forward to hearing about um, how, not only how the coding goes and, and getting it translated all into a recoded all in Swift, but uh, once you do end up releasing it, just sort of what the, what the uptake is and whether or right. not it hits those goals. And, and I can experiment. One, one experiment I w- might want to do is people keep bugging me uh, for possibly having a ad-free version. You know, you pay an in-app price mm-hmm. and now you, the, you know, the, the, ad, the ads go away for you. Um, problem with that is, is they, typically those things are 99 cents and it's not really worth it for me for this game. Okay, does I, an know, Apple, I, Apple take their 30% as well? Yeah, right so then? I get yeah. 70 cents and now that one person that was an avid player uh, now doesn't, you know, they pay their 70 cents and now for the rest of the, you know, our lives, I'm supplying updates to this game to them right. uh, and they're not getting any revenue. But Apple now has, you know, pretty popular subscription type model. 
So I could see the kind of thing where I say, oh, it's two ninety nine a year or 99 cents a month or three months or something like that right. for a subscription that gets you ad-free. This is interesting because it does still give me a little recurring revenue, even if right. it is like 99 cents every three months or $3 a year. It does, you know, the person isn't, you know, completely gone from my revenue stream forever, even though they keep playing and demanding updates. Um, the other thing is, is that it has an end to it. So if the model isn't working, like if I do 99 cents, no ads forever, and I do that and it, it sucks, it just doesn't work at all, um, then I'm not stuck with like, okay, now there's 25 people that I need to continue right, right. to supply an ad-free version, yep. you know, and put all this code in there. With the subscription model, I could say, I could sunset the subscription. I could say, no, I'm not going to offer that anymore. But everybody that's paid, if they paid for a year, they get to play for a year, right. you know, so it does, it is a little bit less of a risk. Uh, doing that, but there's there's that there's uh, reward ads is another thing I may want to try. Whereas not an ad that appears say in between a game, to you know the, oh okay start a new game oh now this time randomly one out of three times I see an ad, but a reward ad is an ad that you actually initiate. Like you say oh I'd like this I like the extra set of four tile sets or you know or extra layouts or something like that. Um, but in order to see that. In order to get that feature, I need to view an ad. Huh. So that's how reward ads work. So they're interesting because um, people can choose when they bring them up. You know, they could say, I'd like to get that bonus in the game, but not right now. I'm enjoying playing. But maybe tomorrow when I have more time, I'll take the time to watch that ad and get that bonus and I'll have that extra feature. Um, and those pay really well. And I like that they're less intrusive because they don't spring on you. you right, it's a you choice. Have to, you have to take the choice. Yep. So yep. anyway, uh, so uh, In, keep everybody up to date stuff. on, yeah, on that, how stuff. that's going. What's been going on with you? I have been living in Camtasia. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's nice this time of year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, for, for those that don't know, Camtasia is sold as a screen recording and video editing package. In other words, it's intended for, well, people like Gary and myself who mm -hmm. are often recording what we're doing on the screen and then producing videos that then allow us to show other people uh, via YouTube or our own sites or whatever um, exactly how to accomplish something. Uh, you know, I've done lots and lots and lots of videos. The, uh, the interesting thing about Camtasia, though, like I said, it's, it's absolutely positioned as uh, primarily all about recording the screen. Except um, the video editor is actually really nice. Um, it is not anywhere, it's nowhere near the uh, features and functionality level of, say, a Final Cut or um, an Adobe Premiere. Uh, those are the, the, the high-end programs. Uh, Premiere in particular, I believe they actually use to do like television shows and movies. It's that, that kind of software. Um, it's incredibly powerful, and a lot of people do use it for, you know, YouTube, YouTubers use it uh, all the time for their videos. But I just find Camtasia's video editor uh, valuable all by itself, even if I don't have a screen recording. So what's happening is that uh, I've, I think I mentioned before that I am doing more videos on YouTube for Ask Leo, and a lot of those are just me uh, talking at the camera. 
So there's no screen recording involved, and yet we're still recording it in Camtasia. The other thing that's happening, though, is that I think I mentioned a week or two ago that one of the uh, uh, nonprofit organizations that I volunteer for, they normally have an annual fundraiser, an in-person banquet with speakers and you know all the usual stuff that's going on. And of course, that can't happen this year. Uh, there is no in-person anything. And what a lot of the nonprofit organizations are doing is they're all taking their in-person events and going virtual. So we've got a virtual event coming up um, actually in less than two weeks now. And one of the things we're doing is uh, basically producing a lot of video, a lot of video that will run uh, basically in the lead up to the event. Uh, you know, there, there's the, the live event starts, say, at 7 p.m., but we'll actually start the live stream 45 minutes or an hour earlier, uh, just sort of running slideshows and running some of these uh, these videos for people that are interested. And honestly, the, the the deep, dark secret is the reason we're starting the live stream an hour early is just to make sure we've got everything running <laughs> by the time the, the actual live thing um, is scheduled to happen. But then at, you know, seven o'clock, we switch to a live stream. It's, it's me in front of a camera. A couple of other people in front of a camera will be oh. talking about uh, items to auction off and so forth. But interspersed with that will still be some pre-recorded video edited uh, in Camtasia. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's been uh, a lot of fun to do this. I'm learning a lot about video editing. I'm doing all the all the fancy effects, you know, the old the Ken Burns effect and the uh, uh, B-roll and running uh, fading from slides to slides to people talking to overlaying audio to doing all sorts of interesting things. All of that within Camtasia, uh, and I'm just you know, I'm having a lot of fun with it. One of the things that drew me to Camtasia originally uh, is that it they do have both a Mac and a PC version. So uh, as it turns out, uh, my, uh, uh, one of my coworkers uh, on this project happens to be completely Mac-based, and you know, she's got access to the same Camtasia that I do on my PC. So we can te technically collaborate on everything. Um, but it's been, it's been a really interesting project, and it's been a lot of fun to, uh, to take a lot of these video editing skills and video recording skills that I've developed over the past couple of years for Ask Leo and uh, turn them to some other things. So, so that's basically been not just the past couple of weeks for me, but uh, the next couple of weeks leading up to uh, the, it's a week from Saturday that our live event happens. Uh, leading up to that, I'll be spending, like I said, a lot of time in Camtasia. Literally, when I came up to, uh, uh, to record today's podcast on my machine downstairs, I left a session of Camtasia running in the middle of a video editing session. So fun times. Yeah, I, I know that. I mean, Camtasia and what I use, ScreenFlow, are very similar. They, you know, they go head to head on the Mac right. as far as competition. And for the longest time, it was basically Camtasia was Windows and ScreenFlow was Mac, right. and then Camtasia went cross-platform. Um, but I do the same thing with ScreenFlow. I, I find partially that the editor is so good that I use it for lots of things mm -hmm. and partially because I use it all the time that I, I'm so good at it right, that right. I, I'll just, I mean, bring something in that has nothing to do with the screen recording just to be like, Oh, I can cut this video up and do this to the auto track and whatever. I could do it yep. in like two minutes. Yep. Uh, but if I bring it to final cut pro, 
you know, it's going to take me longer to remember, okay, where do you, hmm, yep. how do you adjust the audio settings? It's been a while. Yep, yep. Um, the, the thing that I, I actually find interesting is that, uh, again, I, I'm not at all familiar with ScreenFlow, but I suspect it has uh, similar features. I think it's very close. But with Camtasia, you can do things like drop some animated callouts or, um, you know, uh, circles and arrows and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those are great for things other than, than screen recordings too, right? I mean, if you want to, um, uh, you know, draw an arrow to something that's happening in a video that you happen to be playing, you can do that. You can overlay that kind of stuff. Um, it just, it makes it very, very easy to do all that. It's funny. I actually fired up um, Adobe Premiere uh, a couple of weeks ago. I have, of course, the Creative Cloud subscription because I've spent a lot of time in Photoshop as well. And uh, there's a feature in Premiere that I would love to use more. And it is uh, not something that's in Camtasia. And I don't know if it's in Final Cut. It wouldn't surprise me if it were. Uh, but basically, it's an image stabilization. YouTube oh. used to do this for you. If you uploaded a video and it was basically shaky, for whatever reason, uh, YouTube would say, hey, your video looks shaky. Would you like us to stabilize it for you? Uh, and they would. They don't do that anymore. They actually stopped doing that about a year and a half ago. And I ended up with a video that turned out to be, well, fairly shaky. And I decided, okay, how do I do this? And, and I went to YouTube thinking that that feature was still there, learned that it wasn't, went out to the interwebs to find an answer. And the answer was, well, yeah, Adobe Premiere does it, and here's how you do it. It is, of course, different. It's cumbersome. It's, it's, it's one of those things where I'm sure that somebody who is well-versed in Adobe Premiere like you and I, you know, like you're comfortable with ScreenFlow and I'm, I'm comfortable with Camtasia, uh, they probably would just be able to whip it out in a few minutes. But it was really interesting to walk through the steps and see what all of the possibilities are in a program as big and as fully featured as Premiere. Um, and yeah, I was able to produce a, uh, uh, a significantly less shaky video uh, doing so. And it wasn't even using the technique that I thought. I thought what they might be doing is uh, some kind of frame alignment and then cropping it down. Mm. So, you know, you just sort of overlay frame by frame so that the primary content doesn't move. But if you were to look at it fully, you'd see that the edges of your image were like changing all the time. It's not what they do at all. Uh, what they do is some kind of a transformation on the content. Uh, they're actually very at very small amounts of uh, stretching and shaping mm. as as the video progresses. So the edges never change, and the things that aren't moving never change. But the things that are moving, they kind of warp a little from time to time if you look wow. very, very, very closely. But of course, it's video, so you never really notice that kind of stuff, uh, depending on the degree of of vibration that they're taking out. It was pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, that does sound really cool. So, yeah. So, mm. so uh, let's see. We just had a primary here. Yes. Uh, wow, just, you're just getting around to that? <laughs> <laughs> well, just yeah. as of last week, right? Uh, yeah. And, of course, that means I voted about three weeks ago because I got my ballot in the mail. Right. Now, my technique for, for well, two things. One, um, I became a United, citizen, United States citizen in 2001 or maybe it was 2000, I have to look. Um, and I kind of decided, okay, you know what? I'm going to vote in every election, period, no matter what. 
right? No matter mm-hmm. what, what's on there. And I've actually been able to hold that track record. It's very easy to do here in Washington. You just get your ballot in the mail, you fill it out and you send it back. And of course I get it in the mail. I usually fill it out within moments and get it in the next day's mail, not because I'm worried about the postal service, which we'll talk about in a minute, I'm sure, but um, just because I want to be able to tell everybody who's hawking their candidate, nope, sorry, already voted, we're done. You know, there's nothing, nothing to be gained by, by, by yakking at me. Um, nothing to see here, move along. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing that, and I did that, I'm sure, three weeks ago. Sure. And, you know, it's, uh, it occurred to me, it's funny that, you know, you're in Washington State, and I'm in Colorado, where two states that are way ahead of the game in terms of uh, what's called mail-in voting, which is quite, not quite the right name for it. I, you know, I, they got to come up with a better name for it. We've been doing it a long time in Colorado. Matter of fact, I know that now in the national media, since mail-in voting is such a big topic, they keep talking about Colorado and how well it's been working in Colorado and how we've been doing it for so long. We take it for granted here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it always, it, it's interesting when I have friends and relatives in other states uh, that ask me about it because I'm here in Colorado, or um, I see news programs and other people wondering and asking questions about it. Um, there, there's a lot of misinformation and it's like, hey, you've got a good source. You have people from states that have been doing this for a while. Yep. Uh, and one of the things, the bits of misinformation really is just in its name, the whole idea of mail-in voting uh, I don't really know very many people at all that actually mail their ballot in. Uh, that's because it's, we have ballot boxes all over the place. And these things are like these, imagine a mailbox, but the metal is like twice as thick. I mean, they're like built like, <laughs> like tanks. A, an armored mailbox. Yeah. And they're in like yeah. really public, like corner you know, places like there's one in front of the recreation center near my house, another one in front of the museum, another one in front of the botanical gardens, like the main entrance, very visible places. And um, you can go up to these and drop your ballot in there. Uh, It is just as easy for me to do that as it is to mail it in. And it doesn't cost me two stamps. I know some states have a thing where they're like, oh, it's free to mail them in. Washington. Yeah, okay. So in Washington, they do that. And here in Colorado, they say, no, it's two stamps. But we're going to provide hundreds and hundreds of ballot boxes all over the place based on population density. In addition to that, there's a bunch of other opportunities to turn your ballot in, including just taking it to the polling place. And instead of actually going in and voting, just saying, here's my ballot. Actually, they usually have boxes right there. And we have early voting. We had early voting even before we had mail-in ballots. So you know, at some point, like two or three weeks before some of these polling places, usually the ones that are in more stable locations, like not the ones at schools or the church or whatever, right. but the ones that are actually like in a municipal building, those actually open up for you to go to vote, but also as drop off points for your ballot. So a very small number of people actually mail in your ballot. The only point that mail is really involved is it's mailed to you. Right. And, but then it, that's usually way in advance. And then from that point on, it's more like normal voting, except you're kind of like, you know, you fill out the form, you seal it up, and you turn it in. Um, and you don't actually have to rely on the U.S. Postal Service uh, to deliver it. The, uh, so that's like one thing. Like another thing is, is that I, I don't, you know, people think, oh, is this, is this secure? Is it safe? Is it whatever? Well, once you do it, it becomes really obvious um, how much better it is because first thing is as I get an email when my ballot is printed, like 
So, because my ballot is slightly different than most other people's ballots, because it's it's what county am I in? What right. township am I? You know, what I'm in the city of Denver, so it's city of Denver stuff. There's Denver County. There's a certain certain tax tax districts that may have something on the ballot or whatever. Right. There's my congressional district. There's all these overlaying things. So maybe the people on my block, a few blocks in different directions, may end up with the same ballot as me, but almost everybody's is a little different. So my ballot gets printed and it has my name on it, my number and all that, and exactly what I'm supposed to be voting for, um, which if you, well, you remember, you go into a ballot booth and a lot of times you go in and they, you have to fill out all this information and they say, oh, you need to go over to the, let's see, three through six, you need to use one of those machines because one and two are if the people, the next district over, you know, right. and, and then seven and eight, they're if you're on, in the school board zone that starts at, you know, Main Street or whatever, you know. So it's kind of like that. My ballot's different. So I get an email saying, hey, your ballot was just printed. Oh, thanks. Then I get an email saying it was sent. <laughs> it's like, all right. And then I usually the next day get it in the mail. Then I fill it out and I send it in. Then I'll, you know, I'll drop it in one of those boxes. I'll get an email almost always the next day saying, we've received it. Right. We have it. And then usually a day after that, your vote has been counted and validated and all of that. And it's done. So it's, every step I get all this whole trail of exactly what's going on. And I know if I turn my, my ballot in and I don't hear anything for a few days, something may have gone wrong and I may need to contact somebody, get another ballot, provisional ballot that you know, takes the place of mine if it got lost. I, I haven't heard, ever heard of that happening, but at least I know. Whereas when you go into a, ballot, uh, into a booth and you vote, you know, if the machine malfunctioned or something like that, I would know. Nobody would know. Right. They don't even know who I am. The machine has no idea. Right. It's interesting. Sounds like Colorado is definitely a little bit further ahead than Washington. Um, to be fair, I have never, ever gone to um, a voting booth. Mm. Um, as long as I've been voting, like I said, which is, you know, 20 years now, uh, it's not something that I needed to do back in the day. If anything, I actually requested absentee ballots because you mm -hmm. didn't have to have a reason. Uh, you could just request it. Um, and then they went, Washington just went completely uh, mail-in. Uh, uh, and I'll talk about that in a second, but we don't have po uh, polling places anymore. Uh, we, you, there is no opportunity for you to vote in person. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yes, so it's yes. a little different than Colorado. Washington has gone 100% uh, paper, you know, uh, mail-in or deliver ballot. Now, the other thing um, where we do fall short in comparison is uh, while we do have uh, ballot boxes to drop them off, it sounds like we don't have nearly the same number as you do. And my suspicion is that one of the reasons that ours are postage paid mm -hmm. is that um, they're not spending that money then on, uh, you know, putting out all these initial yeah. boxes. They've allocated the money to, right, uh, to, to the, postal service, the postal service, which, um, you know, which actually a couple of years ago, uh, gosh, no, it's got to be about 10 years ago now. Um, there was a problem. There actually was a problem that they had to be very concerned about because the, uh, the, the ballot was large enough that it tripped to the next level of postage. So for example, uh, most of the time, at least prior to that, ballots were a single stamp. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, this one ballot came out. It was a large election of some sort. And all of a sudden, it required two stamps. But, of course, it was really difficult to get that point across. And, of course, uh, voters who weren't paying attention would just do the normal thing and stick a stamp on it, throw it in the mailbox. And 
I don't know if people were getting their ballots back, right, for insufficient postage, but that was the concern. And that was the concern then that would have potentially caused them an issue with uh, their ballot potentially not getting in in time because you throw another stamp on it, throw it in the mail. And by that day, it's, you know, by that time, it's the day you, after you the missed election. the deadline. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say, I mean, I guess my advice, first of all, is what, you know, every, it's going to be different in every state. Right. And so stop paying attention to any national news. Please. Uh, all, Find out what the deal is in your state. Find out if you need to request the ballot. Find out if it's just sent to you automatically. Find out if there's a place for you to drop it off. And if yeah, so, I was, where? I was going to mention that because they, they definitely have made the statements here that, yeah, you know, we don't have all these ballot boxes. I mean, I know of a couple, but we don't have them. However, you can drop them off here. You can drop them off there. I mean, there are definitely places, like you said, those municipal facilities or whatever um, that work. And I mean, my gut reaction, I think most people throw theirs in the mail. My gut reaction is don't wait until the last minute. No, get your yeah. ballot, fill it out, and give it the two or three weeks to get there. Because if that's what the Postal Service is claiming could be an issue, it's an issue that's easily solved just by getting it in early. Get it in early. Find out what the de- find out what the deal is. Make a plan. Yep. Get it in early. Um, and also, don't forget that in almost all cases, I mean, I don't know what it is in Washington. So you're saying they don't have uh, polling places at all. But in places, states that are trying this out, there you still can go and vote. You know, they're just trying to give you this safer. You know, in a COVID nineteen world, a safer situation. So if it doesn't work out, if, oh, my ballot wasn't sent to me, oh, now it's too late. Oh, now what am I going to do? You know, don't let anybody tell you, well, if you didn't get your ballot, I guess you can't vote. No, you just, you're just going to have to mask up, (laughs) stand six feet apart in in line, you know, go. uh, The risk is the line, right? The risk is, that's the, those are the news stories you do hear from the states that don't really have a good mail-in ballot answer. And Mm -hmm. they um, are stuck with these really, really long lines of people uh, which honestly, for a lot of people, acts as a huge disincentive to voting, and I get that. I of totally course, get that. Not everybody can just take the day and go stand in line. Now, when there's it's, a lo- it's, yeah, go ahead. No, there's a lot of things wrong with the process, right? I mean, there's 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 a really strong argument that says, you know what, election day should be on a weekend, or it should be a national holiday, or you know, any number of things to make it easier. Mm-hmm. for people to vote or, every, you know, it should be national mail-in. Uh, it should be whatever. There's, there's any number of ways to make it easier to vote. That's not where we are. <laughs> to, to, to use this year's quote, it is what it is. So work with what it is for your state and see what your options are um, and, and follow through with those options. The one thing I will do this year, um, this, this next time, I think the next election we have coming up is in fact the national election in November. Yep. Um, we don't, I've not signed up for anything that would automatically notify me about my ballot, mm-hmm. but uh, there is a tab that I can tear off of the ballot that has a number, and I can proactively uh, go online to my county uh, voting uh, organization, whatever it is, and see, have you got it? Yeah. Do you have it? Has it been counted? those kinds of things. So I can at least proactively make sure that my ballot made it in. Yeah. Um, and that's something also well worth doing. If they had a situation where I could sign up for it, um, absolutely, I would sign up for it. The other thing to consider signing up for, by the way, is informed delivery from the USPS. Uh, that is a service where 
when you sign up for it, you just give them an email address and set up your account at usps.com. Uh, they, every morning, will send you pictures of the mail they plan to deliver today. And it's actually pretty cool. Um, I don't want to say that it's 100% accurate uh, because there are sometimes pieces of mail that they can't take pictures of for sizes or whatever reason. And, and they don't take pictures of junk mail. But the important stuff, yeah, you know that it's coming and it's uh, something that is uh, supposed to show up today. You know to look for it. And if it doesn't show up, you know that it's something you need to follow up on. So informed delivery from the United States Postal Service is also uh, a very, very useful thing to be aware of just in general, and especially if you're at all concerned about receiving your ballot on time. Uh, it's another way to make sure that uh, you, you'll get notified. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, I think it's important. And uh, you remember, as an engineering problem, it's very simple to solve. You're one person, one vote. Make Make your one. Make sure your one vote gets in. You don't need to solve the whole voting salute, you know, thing for your state or for the country. Right. It's just your responsibility for your vote. And if you really wanted to go the extra mile, you can kind of be the point person for your family. And you know, can Grandma get her ballot there? Can I help right. Grandma? You know, right. can I right. help? Uh, you know, wh it's whoever you know in your extended family group um maybe maybe uh you know i i certainly we don't make three individual trips to the ballot box you know usually right. once we're all done i i take them to take the dog for a walk and and put them all in so there is uh, one scenario that i heard of surprisingly yesterday that that kind of floored me yeah um, and that and it, it's i guess a, one could consider it a risk of uh mail or i'm sorry a hundred percent mail-in like Washington, where there are no mm. ballot, there, there, you 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 automatically get a ballot in the mail, whether yeah. or not you want it or not. Mm -hmm. Is that people are apparently who are those people who are not interested in voting mm -hmm. are putting them in the garbage, which a that floors me. It just floors me oh, that yeah. you that you would not do that if it's especially if it's so darn simple um, to just stuff you know make a mark, stuff it in an envelope, sign it, and send it back, but. Um, that's an opportunity for abuse, right? Somebody else could come along and pick up the ballot and do something, you know, make your vote in your place. If you're not going to vote and you get a paper ballot, at least shred it. <laughs> yeah, I know here we've got, they, they inspect signatures. You know, you have to sign it and we, you have a signature on file. Uh, and because it was a motor voter thing. Mm -hmm. So when you sign for your driver's license, that's on file. And I have heard of people uh, having to go and do additional steps because their signature was shown as not matching their ballot. What I don't know, and this is actually the paper check problem too, because your, your signature on your, uh, when you, you remember checks, how you used to pay, pay for things by writing, <laughs> yeah, really. a, writing on a piece of paper? Those signatures were supposed to match what was on file too. And both of those are such enormous problems. Uh, not just because of the sheer magnitude, the number of signatures that have to be uh, uh, compared, but the fact that the signature that I put on my driver's license 10 years ago doesn't match what I write today, mm -hmm. right? It just doesn't. My signature has changed over my lifetime. And that's especially true for banks. And I just, my, my assumption is that they're not checking 100% of the ballots that come oh, in sure. from matching signature. Or they're, they're sampling. 
yeah, they're or checking very quickly, and right. it's not it's not a foolproof situation, which is why you want to make sure, like you said, you know, you get your ballot in the mail, and you you know fill it out and you send it in, and you you know do whatever you can to track things. Like if I if I got the email from Colorado saying my ballot's been sent and I don't get it, you know, at some point I'm going to find out what's going on. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that, you know, that, but that, that really hasn't been happening. So right. not too right. worried about it. Um, but yeah, so ho- hopefully, hopefully, you know, Colorado seen a huge, we, we have huge turnout numbers because it's so easy to vote, especially in smaller elections. You talked about the line being a disincentive and yes. I don't care if I have to get up at 4am on election day for a presidential election like this and wait all day long. I'll bring a chair. I'll bring a, a sunshade. <laughs> I'll do what I right. But, but on the other hand, if it's an off year and it's May and there's two school board members and a proposition for the mill levy <laughs> and i see that there's a line i may yeah, skip maybe it not. Yeah. <laughs> but but so the mail-in ballot becomes important because i have opinions on all those things it's just that i'm not willing to spend an entire day to vote but i, I certainly will vote if it's uh you know something where i could just do it like i should i, I shouldn't have to work you know yeah. we as american citizens we have the right to vote we don't have to earn that back every single election day by staying in line all day <laughs> well, I think it's pretty clear, uh, regardless of which way anybody plans to vote, this is an important election coming up. And uh, it is in your best interest, it's in our country's best interest to exercise that right and do so, uh, to, take the, to take the responsibility for knowing what it's going to take to get your vote in and counted in whatever method works in your location. So yep. do please vote. So... Yeah. Um, one of the books that I finished, it was I actually listened to it as an audio book, which was kind of entertaining, um, is a book called Because Internet, Understanding the New Rules of Language. And as a writer, having become a writer, uh, I just found it fascinating to hear some of the, uh, not just the, the things that people do, you know, it's, it's more than just uh, um, text speak and emojis and, you know, what used to be elite speak and those kinds of things. Um, what the author really did a nice job of is really defining both why and how they're used and how they evolved and how they continue to evolve. Uh, so anyway, if for anybody who's interested in the written word, for anybody who's interested in communicating with a demographic other than the one that they happen to reside in themselves, uh, it is definitely well worth uh, reading or, as I said, listening to uh, this particular book. It's uh, Because Internet, Understanding the New Rules of Language. I say it's interesting to listen to because it's, re- it's read by the author who actually uh, she's she's passionate about linguistics in in the same way that we're passionate about technology. So she, of course, gets revved up as she's reading the book. But then she's also trying to read the the misspellings, the typos, the emojis, that that kind of stuff, and it just gets kind of funny to listen to when she does that. So there's a recommended. Cool. Uh, I've been watching and enjoying the season of Alone, which I don't think I've talked about before. But no, in fact, I, I don't even recognize it. Okay, so Alone is a reality TV show, but of the, the, the one of the only ones I 
I'm interested in because there's no politics, there's no backstabbing. Um, and the basic idea is they take uh, 10 uh, kind of wilderness survival expert type people and they stick them out in the middle of nowhere, each one on their own, like, you know, area. So they are alone mm-hmm. and they um, have to survive as long as they can. Uh, and the one to survive, la- you know, the longest wins a lot of money. Um, the, you, know, you this is starting to sound familiar. You may very well have talked. I may have. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fine. I mean, it's it, fine. Anyway, it's it's in the middle of I guess it's the seventh season, and mm-hmm. it's on History Channel, and it's it's interesting. And they really are they their cameras. I mean, they have to do their own camera work. So right. They have a bunch of GoPros and cameras and stuff. So they're they're you know they don't need the training for wilderness survival. They do need the training for the camera work and the all. Technology, looks, like, right. <laughs> looks like they do a good job of it, and then they're like weekly health checks where they pick up the SD cards. And, and then put the show together. Um, it's a show, for me, it is about technology, even though you think that's got to be the furthest thing from technology. Because putting aside the camera work and all that, I mean, building a shelter, you right. know, being able to create, how do you keep food that you, you know, fish that you catch from predators, you know, building a food cache. How do you fish? How do you build a fishing net with just only line? Everything in the show, to me, is about you know, using the human mind and our knowledge of technology with limited resources to overcome nature and su- survive out there in the wilderness. And I find it fascinating. So I thought our listener might too. <laughs> I have to throw on this one is completely not about um, technology in any way, shape or form. Um, but it fits the genre that we've actually, that, that you and I both seem to also have an affinity for. Uh, we, got, we got hooked on Winona Earp. Um, it is a uh, you know fantasy type sci-fi. Uh, it's current day, even though, but she's the uh, you know a descendant of Wyatt Earp, um, and there's like magical things associated with it. The thing I appreciate about it um, is that it has a wonderful, wonderful sense of humor. Uh, I find myself laughing from time to time. You know, just through the regular plots, the throwaway lines, the the double entendres, the the um, uh, references to current you know, so called current events, um, it's it's just a lot of fun, and I'm enjoying watching it. So, cool. you might, if you haven't already, it sounds like something you might have. Well, yeah, and and we've already figured out that we have very similar tastes. We do, yeah, <laughs> which is why I mentioned it. So, yeah, <laughs> so. Uh, let's see, blatant self-promotion. So the article that I'd like to point people at this week is, I know my password is right, but I can't sign in. What do I do? You probably run into this as well, Gary. I hear, regularly hear from people who uh, are having trouble logging into an online service of one sort or another, and they are convinced, I mean, they are beyond convinced that they are typing in their password absolutely positively correctly. Uh, and of course, there's some percentage of those that aren't and are appropriately embarrassed when, you know, the, the fact that the shift key was on or caps lock or, you know, there's something mm-hmm. silly or, or that they typed their password correctly, but they were typing somebody else's username because it's typo, those kinds of things. But there are still absolutely scenarios where they're right. They've, they've typed in what they believe to be, you know, their username and password correctly. And yet it's not letting them log in and they are livid. Sometimes they're just livid. They know that they're getting it right. And the service is evil because it's not letting them log in. And what's the conspiracy, yada, yada, yada. Uh, And uh, that, you know, if, if that's honestly happening to you, the password, you know, is right. Isn't right. It just isn't. 
something happened. And uh, askleo.com slash 15079 goes into that in more detail. Uh, there's just one really big thing that probably happened, and you're probably going to want to take action on. Hmm. Interesting. I'm intrigued. But yeah, I definitely do see uh, that. So I'm, I'm interested. Uh, I'm going to watch your video to, to, uh, to maybe find out what that thing is. Because <laughs> sometimes it happens with, you know, my serve, you know, people saying, oh, I can't log into your courses website. Right. And, and I, sometimes I just, I just reset their password myself. Oh, yes. Yes. I do that all the time with, with people logging into my, uh, um, my members only site is, you know, they're, they're convinced their password's right and so forth. It's just not worth diagnosing right here. Go reset yourself and your password. You'll be fine. Well, even, even then I find that sometimes they can't, it doesn't work from that end. It's probably something with their password manager and their password oh. manager is creating like a, a random password, but they think they entered their own password in. I don't know. I'm not quite sure what's going on in those situations. Right. Right. But a lot of times I say, what, what do you think the password is? <laughs> and, and, you know, and they get, first they're confused that I, why don't I know it? It's my site, right? And it's like, no, I don't know your password because it's stored encrypted, you know, with the hash and everything. Right. I don't know what it is. There's no way for me to find out. But if I get them to tell me what it is, knowing that it's not a critical site, you know, that right, right, right. it's not a banking site I'm running or anything like that. And they, and they go and they, I t I'll take what they think it is and I will change the password to that. To that. Yes. <laughs> and I say, now try it. And they're like, all right. So, oh, you know, you, you fixed it. Yeah, I fixed it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, my thing I want to point out is a little, little bit of fun uh, is uh, there is a way with Mac OS to control your cursor with your head. <laughs> Um, it basically, it's an accessibility option and it will track your head using the camera on your Mac to, uh, basically let you move the cursor left, right, up and down. And then you can use facial expressions like raising your eyebrows, opening your mouth, <laughs> sticking awesome. out your tongue no idea. for like click, double click, and even a drag and everything. And it's kind of, it's neat to see as a technology. Right. And it is, I could see, even though I don't need it, using it for like, oh, I need to give my hands a rest, you know, carpal tunnel, all right, of that. Right. Just sit back. All I'm going to do is browse <laughs> some web pages. So let me use my head to actually move the cursor around and do the things I need to do. Uh, the, um, the other thing is that it does give you kind of a glimpse into a convergence of technologies, you know, with speech getting better, you know, our control uh, of the computers with speech getting better. Uh, with uh, this type of technology to use the camera, you know, we can think about how in the future we can finally get to that kind of Star Trek thing where the computer just knows what we want. You know, we just say, oh, computer, do this. And, right. you know, and it's maybe it's tracking our eyes and what we're looking at. And maybe it's, you know, looking at our head and, and maybe we can do the Tom Cruise thing in, from uh, what movie was that? To Total? No, I forget. Or no, um, um, Minority Report. Minority Report. Yeah, I knew it was a Philip K. Dick book. Um, they, you know, <laughs> we use your hands, you know, you can do gesturing with your hands and stuff yep. like that. But it was all step. It's like, you know, getting the rear view uh, camera on your car it was like a stepping stone to like self-driving, uh, you know, step towards self-driving cars, right? Yes. Every little thing. And this kind of technology is like, it's getting a little closer. There's another little piece that's in place that maybe 10 years from now, we will be communicating with computers for lots of things without using keyboards, tracks, or mice, at least for, you know, some it, things. It really makes me glad that Clippy is gone <laughs> because I just have this vision of Clippy yeah. popping up and saying, you look sad. Is there oh. anything I can help you with? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. That's a show. Yeah, um, it is. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh109. If you've got a comment or a question, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast. And of course, you can always leave us a comment in the show notes page. We do read them all. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we will see you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye.